Welcome to the Helping Hands podcast with me, Gail Louise Turner. On this podcast, I will be chatting to inspirational people and I will be finding out about their life story, their influences and how they give that extra helping hand every day. If you'd like to follow me, please go to my Facebook, which is Gail Louise Turner or on my Instagram, which is Gail GLT. Each episode of the Helping Hands podcast will be having an accompanying Spotify playlist with my guest musical influences. This can be found under Helping Hands podcast playlist on Spotify. Now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hi, my guest today is Stephen Pace, all the way from Congleton. Hi, Stephen, how are you? Hi, Gail, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, really good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. So tell us about yourself, um, Mr. Stephen Pace. Who are you and what do you do? So uh, I am a fourth generation poultry farmer uh, based outside Congleton, Cheshire. And um, yeah, we, uh, we are mixed farm, really. Um, but the main emphasis of our business is uh, looking after hens uh, to produce eggs, which we then sell uh, locally. Uh, but then also some of our eggs do go to a big packer uh, who sells them onto the supermarkets as well. That's me in a nutshell. Fabulous. So, so what's your business called? So it's the Cheshire Egg uh, Company is the name of the business. Um, it's a re- that's a relatively recent uh, setup. We have been going since uh, 1931 as a business, um, but um, yeah, recently we've just set up the Cheshire Egg uh, Company to try and promote um, the business kind of o- o- online. Um, we were uh, Pace's Eggs before, uh, known as that, um, but there is already uh, Pace's Eggs. Uh, who are the biggest egg producer in Australia. And I thought, well, if we're going to go online, we probably need to uh, have a new identity so we don't get confused with them. And, uh, and so I thought, well, what do we do? We're, we're uh, based in Cheshire and we produce eggs. So we've got the Cheshire Egg Company. Great. So I'm going to take you back to your childhood now. So, so tell everybody, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, how old are you today? Um, I am 31 uh, at the moment. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's ta- let's take you back to your childhood because you sound much more mature than that. Um, well, you always did. Um, so let me take you back to your childhood. So did you? So what do you, what have you done in your life to help people? Because this podcast is all about how you actually give that extra helping hand every single day. So if you take me back to your childhood and tell me about yourself and how you got to from where you were then to where you are now. So, <laughs> yeah. I hope I can say I help people. I don't know if I uh, if I do, but as, so as a kid, I, I grew up. I was the youngest of three. I've got two older sisters, um, and we grew up on on the farm. Uh, and it was a very kind of outdoorsy sort of childhood, uh, playing around um, in the fields and in the hay bales. There's a small little wood behind our house, and I suppose because. Um, all of my friends who were living in like the local towns and villages, they could go around and knock on their friends and go and play with their friends, but stuck a bit in the middle of nowhere on this farm. 
and also right next to a, a quite a busy main road. So although I had a friend who wasn't that far away, it was uh, a bit difficult to go and see them with this big road in the way. So quite often I would just go out and play in these trees by the back of the house. Uh, I joked that, you know, when I was a kid, I spent most of my time entertaining myself throwing uh, small stones at bigger stones and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, very sort of outdoorsy kind of up, upbringing. Um, but when I was a kid, I was never really sure whether I was going to actually come into farming. I think as a very young child, I was interested in in the farm. Um, but as certainly as a teenager, I would sort of say I sort of rebelled against that. Not massively, um, but just didn't take much of an interest in what was going on. Whereas most, um, most kids who were brought on the farm, if they're going to carry on with farming anyway, they, they were showing a keen interest in their teenage years. You know, they can't wait to get on a tractor. Whereas me, I was re never really that bothered about the tractors. Uh, I really liked the animals. Uh, I did keep, uh, have, uh, for my birthday one year, I got 12 of my own hens to keep um, and look after and, and sell the eggs from. But, uh, but other than that, no, I really wasn't that bothered. And I think that's partly because not many of my friends were from, farming background from school there was the one friend who was across the road but really as we went to high school I kind of went into a different crowd to, to him not massively we're still friendly but you know I, I had a little group of mates and most of them weren't from agricultural farming background and so I kind of started looking at well what what do I mean maybe I wasn't really looking at it back at, in when I was 10 11 but I would certainly say I was, if someone had asked me or asked my parents at the age of 13 whether I was going to uh, be a farmer, I think all of us probably would have said, yeah, probably not. Um, and yeah, and I suppose that that is the sort of age where, where my first kind of song come, comes into it, um, which is uh, from Sum 41. And it's a song called In Too Deep on the album All Killer, No Filler. And that was the first. Uh, album I actually um, ever bought and I think I had trouble picking a song from from that era because um, there were quite a lot of kind of teenage angsty rock sort of songs uh, mostly coming from America and Canada um, that I could have I could have chosen I was really into Blink 182 and um, uh, the Foo Fighters, Offspring, um, yeah Green Day all those sort of bands. But the reason I chose some 41 and Into Deep is because that was actually the first album I, uh, I ever bought. And I thought that was a, a good one to, to sum up um, that sort of era. And that was really where I suppose I was, um, I was going away from farming and agriculture. I didn't spend much time on the farm. My parents always had to drag me out of bed and some holidays to help rather than me, can't, you know, waiting to jump on a tractor. Um, and that's yeah, really my, my kind of early sort of teenage sort of years was spent. I, w I wouldn't say I was ever massively into music. I wasn't like waiting for the next uh, song to come out or, or like, you know, a, a diehard fan of any of the bands. And, and I was a bit of a follower to a certain extent. One of my uh, really good friends, um, he was into a lot heavier kind of rock and, and metal than I was. And I was never really into like, you know, Slipknot or anything like that. Um, that was all a bit too much for me, but I was kind of just following him in a sort of softer kind of path, I would say. Um, and yeah, so that, that sort of sums up my, my early teenage years. So for, for my, remember you, you have two sisters and you were the only yeah. boy. 
yeah and so how how was that for you you know um obviously coming from a farming background um and i suppose you all had to get up to egg grade in the morning i suppose you'd have to do it at christmas as well wouldn't you how, how, did, how did you find that yeah so where i got on really well with my two sisters and still do and i'm i'm really uh glad about that uh we we obviously had our our moments as i'm sure all, all kids do um when i was really young i think that so there's me uh, an old sister becky who's about three years older than me and then claire who's five years older than me and when i was really young i think uh, me and, and becky uh the middle one used to uh spar quite a lot and get on each other's nerves because we we're quite similar of age so there's loads of stories about how i used to go around nicking her toys and stuff like that um <laughs> but then as as we got older and again as i became a teenager i say i, I uh, kind of uh not necessarily idolized becky but more of like the her male friends because they were all like kind of skater boys and, and you know in kind of teenage bands and they were like three years older than me so they were really cool so i kind of I, I idolized uh some of those guys uh quite a bit uh looking back uh but whereas claire when i was really young i used to get on a lot better with her uh, than, uh because than, than i did with becky because she was kind of mothering me and looking after me and protecting me a bit. but then as i went into my teenage years i would say she was still doing that and you know i felt like uh, you know one mum was enough and she was always nagging me and telling me what to do and mothering me so i think when when i was quite a, a young moody teenager that was not appreciated and so uh, i would say uh, during teenage years i got a bit better with uh, becky and claire and then obviously we've all grown up and become adults now you know get on really well with both of them and really chuffed but yeah working on the farm together i mean I did. I said, although I say I didn't, um, I, I didn't do uh, uh, loads of work on the farm. I wasn't really keen as a teenager. I definitely did more than the two girls. As soon as they could get weekend jobs in town, working in shops, they did. Whereas I stayed on and carried on on working at the farm. And uh, but yeah, it was good fun. You know, we all, all pulled together and like so on Christmas Day and things like that. We would just be in the family. There weren't any other staff about. And we'd all have to do that before we had our, our, our Christmas uh, turkey, and it, yeah, it was all it was all good fun. Um, yeah, lots of uh, fond memories. Yeah, brilliant. And so um, every podcast that I'm doing, uh, my listeners know that there is an accompanying Spotify playlist, um, and this one will be called um, Gail Louise Turner Helping Hands Podcast Playlist Number Eight, Stephen Pace. So if anybody wants to find your playlist, you've got five songs on there. So talk me through your songs and influences. Um, it would be amazing to hear how these influence your life. So song number two then. So song number two is from when I was a bit older, still a teenager. Um, must have been around GCSEs. And it's uh, the Remembrance and I'll Be There For You. And it's basically just because it was the theme of Friends. So I did watch Friends kind of growing up. I was obviously quite very, well, very young really when uh, Friends the first came out. But again, because my sisters were a bit older, I was always kind of watching TV that was probably a bit too, uh, you know, old for me. Um, not in a bad way, not like full of swear words or anything like that, but you know, it wouldn't be normally what kids my age would have chosen. And But because I had two older sisters, I probably didn't get much choice in what uh, <laughs> I was watching. Um, so I remember watching uh, Friends when it first came out. Uh, you know, I can remember watching some of the really early series, but I probably wasn't paying much attention. But then definitely got into it towards the later series, just in my own right, uh, loving it. But then I remember one Christmas after uh, Friends had finished, 
it was the Christmas after Friends is finished. Mum and Dad got us the box set to split between the three of us. It's like a, a big present for all three of us. And so we had uh, the DVD. Well, first of all, we had the videos and then we had the DVDs, I think, later on when they came out. Or, I don't know. And we definitely had some Friends videos, but that might have just been from really early on. And then uh -huh. when they were finished, the DVDs came out. I can't quite remember when DVDs came out. But, um, yeah, so we had the Friends box set and we would just uh, watch that all, all the time. I mean, I hate to think how many hours I've actually spent watching Friends in my life. It's a lot. And I remember during my GCSEs, it was kind of like my revision break because it was like a good 20 minute episode. So, you know, I'd do like an hour's revision of, of uh, English or something. And then I'd go watch a 20 minute episode of Friends and just keep doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, I've got really fond memories. I love the show. Um, I think it was really, really good for, uh, fun. And I, I think with that show as well, you can really tell that all the cast members actually really got on and had a great time like filming it. And like when you watch back some of the, like, the blooper reels as well, they, um, they're just amazing to watch because you can tell they're all having a great time. And I think that shows uh, in, in the, through the program. I think that's one of the reasons it's a success. So yeah, so really like the show. And you know, if I hear ever the Friends theme tune, it just takes me back to that sort of time of my life. And that's kind of why I chose, chose that one. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the '90s was quite a good time to grow up, really, and I think we were quite lucky in that respect. Um, so your your business, Cheshire Farm Co. Um, just just tell me where that idea came from. Before we go to song number three, I'm, I'm intrigued. How, how does that help everybody every day, and especially through lockdown? Yeah, so I mean, I suppose when we came, the reason we came up with that, so we uh, we have our off off sheds and we sell the eggs locally but we um we have to sell some of the eggs to make sure we can always supply the customers who we've got we have extra eggs and the surplus go to a big packer who's based up in lancashire and they then sell them to the supermarkets and uh for one thing or another i won't bore you to do with looking after hens we have quite a lot of surplus eggs um that end up going that way and in fact I, I, we when I came back to the family business we um, we decided that really we probably got a few too many going that way and we, it would be nice to try and sell a few more locally and so then the idea was well okay well, how can we do that without causing too much extra uh, work or trying to to poach customers off other people because we didn't want to do that and upset people and so the thought was well we've never actually really promoted uh, the business online or done anything like that so the idea was to set up like an online sort of presence to try and promote the business and what we do but also to set up a vending machine so that people can come in and, and buy eggs off us directly um, and uh, and so yeah so we we bought this egg vending machine uh, and it took us a very long time to decide where to put it and then uh, a long time to set it up but eventually we, we kind of set it up and it was doing okay and you know we had a few people keep coming uh, to, to buy eggs and to, uh, to begin with it was just people who were who were coming when we were actually the, the shop was closed and uh, and then they would be like oh well i can't pick up eggs oh no i can go to the vending machine and they'd go around the corner um and they'd, and they'd be able to pick up the eggs there because we do have a shop which is more for like wholesale customers who are buying boxes of eggs to sell in their shops or in uh, to use in their cafes but then when, uh, and it, yeah, and it was growing steadily. It's probably been going about nine months now, I would say. And it was growing steadily through, you know, word of mouth and people seeing it on, online on, on Facebook. 
um and you know i keep trying to share what what we're doing you know every day so like the other day we had uh the feed trailer kind of broke and spilt a load of feed on the floor and so i was showing everyone how we kind of set up this auger temporarily to move the feed and, and i'm trying to kind of just yeah show what we're doing but yeah really when lockdown came i suppose when it came into its own because as most people will know who went to shops during the start of lockdown eggs were in a massive shortage um yeah and that was part- yeah 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 <laughs> yeah uh, all of a sudden our phone started ringing off the hook because everyone's after eggs and um and really it's it was mainly a logistical issue there was a slight shortage of eggs basically there were just enough eggs in the country to cope with the number of eggs being eaten and there's always a slight flux between the demand and the supply of eggs in the country and we do get some imports unfortunately from your which you know i I wish we were more self-sufficient with eggs but you know you do need a little bit so you can take out the waves of supply and demand um yeah so but but then we were really kind of tight on eggs and then all of a sudden all you know imports stopped completely and uh, and then all of a sudden you know the uh, logistics kind of slows down and people start panic buying and i don't think anyone really went mental panic buying i mean you hear about people who were filling trolleys up i don't think there was a lot of that there might have been one or two but i think it was more everyone just bought a little bit extra but only everyone would need to buy a little bit extra for it to all of a sudden the system not to be able to cope with with the demand um and then all of a sudden once you see that there are eggs on shelves in the supermarkets the next time you go to the supermarket if there are eggs on the shelf all of a sudden the consumer is driven to think oh i better get eggs because there might not be eggs next week and so that didn't help as well so that meant that the, the supermarkets were, were very short of eggs and so it was quite fortunate for us that all of a sudden we had this vending machine set up and people were coming from all over to come and get eggs and then we also um, had quite a lot of people who were coming and buying quite a few eggs for vulnerable people who uh, had gone in shielding you know and, and isolating early um, and they would come and buy quite a few and then they would go and, and, and take them around and so it was it really I mean it was obviously it's a horrible thing uh, the virus and I feel really bad for everyone who's been affected by it in every single way but for us as a business it's actually been quite good because i think it's reminded people of the importance of food i think food has you know is has been kind of it's easily forgotten because there's so much available our systems in our supermarkets are, are so good really at providing such choice and availability and and all year round that i think to a certain extent as a nation we we don't appreciate our food enough um and and we waste far too much food and, and you just don't really value it. Whereas I'm hoping now that some of the people that we've actually got to come to our farm can see that what we're doing here actually produces a better quality egg. And, and I do think we do pr- produce a better quality egg than you will pick up in the, in the supermarket for a number of, of reasons. Um, but yeah, but I'm hoping that they see and that, that they will carry on coming back to us uh, because, you know, we were working crazy sort of hours and, and trying to get as many eggs as we could and, and get them pro- sorted and, and packed and available to people and uh, so that you know people could you know get the eggs that they needed uh, at the start of the lockdown and it was a crazy three weeks really it, it's still a little bit uh, of a rush at the moment but it's not as bad as it was you know uh, the first three weeks were absolutely mental we were working yeah 
quite a lot <laughs> more than normal, you know, long hours uh, just to try and, and get everything sorted. But, you know, we can't make the hens lay any more eggs. All we can do is, you know, collect them more often, basically collect them as soon as they're, they're being laid. Uh, whereas norm, so normally we would just collect the eggs in the morning because that's when the majority of the eggs are laid and the few that are, left, are laid in the afternoon get collected the next day. But we were collecting basically all day, every day, and and, and grading them out as, as soon as we could. And, and normally we would also carry, you know, a couple of days stock, just to make sure we can, you know, keep 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 the uh, good kind of logistical flow of eggs going. We've got a little buffer there. But yeah, the first within the first couple of days that was gone, and we were just basically so hand to mouth, and we were turning folks away. We were quite fortunate, really, that we. Um, we we uh, during the at the start because obviously all the restaurants and stuff sh shut down. All the eggs that were going to restaurant could get diverted into kind of retail and to be sold. But that has its own problems because rather than going on trays, which they'd normally go on to restaurants, now they're all some going in pre packs, and uh, and yeah, so that was a big problem because it's harder to grade in pre packs. The machine has to go slower. Um, wow. You're not so, some of, so some of your eggs actually went into supermarkets to sell to help with the surplus well well the, our, our eggs normally go into into the supermarket but not with us packing them so the surplus that we don't sell here we have a contract with um a guy up uh up in uh, lancashire and he uh, he takes the surplus of eggs but he was coming a lot more to collect our eggs and we were at the, the maximum of what we are we have like a contract with him of the amount we're allowed to sell ourselves basically and he has the rest um, but we normally aren't at that maximum we only normally reach that maximum at, at christmas um because obviously a lot of people buy a bit extra at christmas as they start doing a bit more baking um but yeah it was like it was like every day was the the week before christmas for three weeks it was uh, it was kind of unprecedented i would say the amount the, the demands that we saw and we had folks coming from all over i had one person i saw actually the other day i thought this was a bit a bit weird but they um they were actually from bolton and they came down from bolton i think they were coming past anyway but they'd heard about us so they came and picked up some eggs during the start of the lockdown and i was thinking well bolton's quite far away <laughs> from congleton to come and get eggs but yeah there was just yeah a big a big shortage and and we're still now trying to trying to get over it really i mean at the moment the big problem for us as a business is uh, is packaging now because all of these eggs that were going to food services are now going have now been going to retail and they're going in the pre-packs we're running short of pre-packs so in a couple of weeks time we're we're going to run out and it's not been helped by the fact that the factories that make the packs have shut down as well during the lockdown they're mostly based in germany and they all oh. kind of shut down yeah, and then also, you know, we're not the only ones. Every single person is is, is want more packs, um, and so they're they're trying their best, and we will be getting some very soon. But we might have a slight gap where we're going to have to um, just have some ordinary plain packs and just be kind of writing or putting a little sticker on to say that ours because they won't be in our own kind of branded packs. Um, and the other thing is that you're not getting the same colours. This will be something people might notice when they go to supermarkets that the the packs are all a boring colour. And that's just because they're trying to make as many packs as possible. And they don't want to shut down production to change from yellow to green. So uh, so all the packs are now becoming more boring and plain in, in the supermarket as well. But we were at a stage, I remember at the start of the lockdown, I was in a meeting, like a phone conversation with a few other poultry farmers. And one of them was saying that they only had like 10 days supply of packs left, at which point they were going to start sending the eggs to supermarkets on trays and people were going to have to 
start bringing right. their own boxes to pick up eggs. So we managed to avoid avoid that. But yeah, all these sort of logistical nightmares that came about from it. But you know, it it, it pales in significance really compared to some of the the heartache people have had to go through during uh, during the lockdown and the and the the virus. Um, so really, you know, we just did what we could. You know, we egg producers so we just kept getting the eggs out as soon as we could and getting them to folks so they could uh, you know they could have their eggs in the morning that's, that's amazing yeah. uh, well you told me you didn't if you think you'd helped anybody that's that's an amazing story and how you're doing <laughs> it every day i love absolutely love that and i didn't even think about the uh, logistical nightmare that you've gone through just to help the customers and make them happy through lockdown because i mean um a lot of people you know for example older people aren't getting out um i've spoke to people because i work for a retail establishment and i've spoke to people who haven't been out for eight 10 weeks and they go oh this is my first outing oh this is a bit weird isn't it how all things are different and obviously you've supported that cause from day one so so well done Stephen, and well done to cheshire um echo for that i absolutely love it what you've done and uh, but uh, please feel free to talk through more um of where you're going with that but i just want to take you back a little bit with your song choices again so um your spotify playlist like i said um is on spotify under gay louise turner helping had hands podcast playlist number eight because your podcast number eight eight's quite a good number as well um you yeah. said your song is a kook so i so i love this so your alternative music taste is songs that i would never choose so i love this so you can talk to me about um the kooks why did you um choose the song by the kooks so i um as, as a t this so this again is, is teenage years we're getting a bit older now we're getting towards 17 uh, years of age uh, and yeah, do my A levels, and that's about when this album came out. It's probably a year after this album came out when uh, I first started uh, dating uh, my now wife Leanne. And this song just kind of—I remember listening to this album when me and Leanne first started going on a few dates, and it kind of just really reminds of, of, of me of her, and specifically that she moves in her own way song, um, and it just takes me back to that time really. And, uh, and it makes me, me think of her, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's just one of those things. It just, it just is an album that sticks in my head of, of that time. And uh, I suppose as I started getting a bit older, uh, teenager, I started listening to, uh, to not just, not quite as, as rockier bands. I mean, they were still, you know, playing with electric guitars and stuff like Coops, but, you know, they weren't quite as... As rocky as maybe uh, you know the offspring and Metallica and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, so then me, so me and Leanne, uh, she was the first uh, girlfriend I'd really had that wasn't one of my friends. If you you see what I mean, I'd, I'd had a few girlfriends before Leanne, but they'd all kind of just been within my little friendship group, and uh, and you know that I wouldn't ever say any of them were, were really serious. Um, but then yeah, me and Leanne, um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know how it all started. I suppose. Probably in maths lessons, I started, you know, picking on her, you know, typical kind of little schoolboy sort of stuff. Uh, I didn't actually ever push her over in the schoolyard, but, you know, I'd kind of steal her things from her pencil case. And me and Leanne are very different sort of people. So I'm quite a, a messy work. I mean, you could see the office I'm in now. There's just paper piles everywhere and yeah, uh, rubbish. And, and I'm quite a messy thinker, really. Um, but, you know, kind of throw things up in the air and see how things land. But Leanne's much more organised. And I, I'd known Leanne through all of high school, really, because uh, we had even been in some of the same classes. We were in English together uh, from year eight. Um, but 
we um, we'd never really spoken until we were in A levels and we were sitting next to each other in maths just by pure chance. And I just basically started started talking to her. And I'd always thought that she was um, a, a bit geeky, if you'll forgive me for saying that. She was always one of the one of the ones who I considered to be one of the clever ones. I never really considered myself to be one of the clever ones. I considered myself, I don't know, to be one of the stupid ones. <laughs> well, not stupid, like thick, because I did okay at school, you know, even in the, in the lower years. But um, we're kind of like, I'd, I'd goof around a little bit. I knew where the lines were. I never really got told off a lot, but we were always kind of pranking about and, and messing about. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so I, I just started, you know, kind of, gently picking on Leanne, <laughs> stealing things from a pencil case or writing in a, she had very neat notes in maths, like, you know, really clear. And I would just, you know, flip forward a few pages and just scribble something stupid on her book. Uh, so that when she came there, she'd get all annoyed with me. And it kind of started from there really. And then, yeah, we, we started going out. We, um, we went to the cinema in crew for our first date and, and yeah, it, it, blossom from there really we went off our separate ways to university she went to Glasgow to study veterinary and I went to Leeds to do zoology um and you know that was a four and a half hour train ride between Leeds and Glasgow but I did it a lot <laughs> um I spent most of my time on the east and west coast main lines uh at university um but I wouldn't have had it any other way and I think you know it, it's tough to make a relationship last um on long, long distance like that but the way we did it really is just by not every weekend but I would say you know every other or every third weekend I'd be going up to Glasgow uh she came down to me a little bit but not quite as much because my course was easier than hers I suppose I had more free time than she had veterinary pretty full-on degree um but yeah that's really really uh yeah how our relationship kind of started and, and blossomed so and we managed to survive the whole of university uh without any complications and uh yeah and, and they carried on from there we moved in together when when she finished and, and i finished uni yes yeah, yeah. so you, you are you both working around here now you are aren't you you in cheshire you, you you're around here now aren't you both of you working in your yes. in your career path yeah that's great that is yeah so Leanne, leanne's a small animal vet um based uh in well sandbach in newcastle um and then, yeah, I'm just outside Congleton uh, farming. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, That's really good. So, yeah. so um, I'm just going to tell your listeners now and embarrass you. You are a clever guy, aren't you? You have a PhD. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you, just, you just told me you're not organised, but that, but that comes with being so intelligent. So you have a PhD and you've yes, got a song choice around this as well. So, so to tell the listeners about your PhD and your song. So, yeah, so if just... Before the PhD, so the zoology degree at university, when I was going to university, I didn't really, again, it comes back to this, do I want to be a farmer or not decision? And I basically spent most of my academic career putting that off, that decision, and because uh, I didn't know what to do. And so, I, I, like I said, I did okay at, at school. I got pretty good grades. And uh, I was a little bit, I mean, I got very good grades at my uh AS levels and good, and good grades for my A levels as well. But I was a little bit disappointed with my A levels because I hadn't got the grade I was predicted uh, for one of my subjects. And so that was like a little chip on my soldier, shoulder. Sorry. So when I went to university, I was like, right, I'm damn well going to work hard and make sure I can get the best degree I can get. And, and I decided I was going to do zoology because it, it, and go to Leeds in particular, because the Leeds zoology uh, degree was kind of 
partnered with the, the agriculture the agriculture department at Leeds University and merged with the biology department. And the zoology degree was was heavily a mixture of agriculture and biology. And biology was always my favourite uh, subject, even though it wasn't my best. My best was maths, but um, but biology was always my favourite. I really just like the concepts behind it and like things like evolution and, and just some of the uh, behavioural kind of side of it as well. I just find it really fascinating. And um, and so I thought, well, if I go to Leeds and do zoology, that's a really good mix of ag and biology. And it basically delays the decision another three years. So I did that and I, I worked really hard at Leeds and I ended up getting a first and I was actually top of, of the class. And, and that was, I don't think I was uh, smarter than any, any of the other kids there. I just worked really hard, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and like I say, you know, most of them were going out at the weekend. Whereas yeah. I would, you know, take a train ride up to Glasgow to spend time with Leanne. But because she was doing a super hard degree veterinary, a lot of that time when we were up at the weekend, she would have to be doing work as well. And so what was I going to do? Well, I just did a bit of work as well. So I think that she kind of dragged me along. And that's probably true of A-levels as well. Um, she's definitely smarter than me, I would say. Um, but yeah, so, but then when I got to the end of my, my, my degree, I was unsure a little bit what to do uh, again with the whole um, do I go back to the farm do I not decision and again I thought well how, what can I do I suppose to delay this and I knew that if I wasn't going to go back to the farm I wanted to do something in science I really like science I like the the process of coming up with an idea a hypothesis and thinking well how can we prove or disprove this hypothesis and coming up with a, a good robust test doing the test and then getting the results i mean doing the test i suppose is always the bit i i probably like the least because that's the bit where you have to be accurate and you know pet things and measure things and that's probably the least enjoyable part of, of the science for me whereas some people the really good scientists that's the bit they enjoy the most i would say um because they're really uh particular about about that the scientific method for me it was always the ideas and the, and the results and conclusions that i seem to enjoy the most um and so, yeah, I decided that uh, I'd quite like to do a PhD. Part of this, again, kind of goes back to the whole friends thing. I was always thought it was amazing. You know, Ross had got the PhD. I always thought that was just great. And I always really liked the idea of knowing more than anyone in the world about an area, a topic area. And when you do a PhD, I would say that's true. You do get to know more than anyone else in the world about a particular topic. Now, it's a very, 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 very small area of knowledge. Like you, because when you start doing a PhD, you're asking really particular questions. You know, so if I told people the title of my PhD, most people wouldn't really understand what it was. Um, but, you know, but, 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 but it's not, you know, uh, but, but, but you get to be the one that knows everything about that particular area and you are the person that knows it and other people come to you and now there are people who know more of the general topic around what you're talking about and that's definitely true of my of my work the area there are people who've been working it much longer than I was and, and knew a lot more but of my particular strain of that particular branch of 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 animal nutrition I uh, I, uh, I I knew the most about it because I'd done these experiments that no one else had done and so, yeah, so I went to my lecturer in third year and said I was looking at doing a PhD. And at the time, Leeds University did a lot of pig nutritional and pig welfare research, um, but no, no chicken uh, research. And I said, well, if I want to go back to the farm after I've done my PhD, 
which I might do, you know, I could end either go into science or I could go and be a farmer is the way I kind of saw my choice at the time. I thought I want to do some a PhD, which is relevant to both of those. So I asked my lecturer if I could do a, a PhD on, on poultry nutrition. And for some reason, I don't quite understand. She said yes. And for some <laughs> reason, I don't quite understand. I agreed to it too. And so then we had to basically set up the research facility for doing this uh, laying hen research. And what we were looking at is kind of in a nutshell, is I was looking at the nutrition of, of, of laying hens and I was looking at supplements you can give them. And, and it's all to do with the calcium and phosphorus nutrition of, of chickens, you know, two essential minerals that are really important. Uh, one for egg quality in terms of improving eggshells, but also of uh, the welfare of the bird and improving kind of bone integrity and bone strength. And those kind of things uh, and so there was kind of a welfare element to it and there was a nutritional element to it and then there was some kind of rudimental science uh, fundamental science sorry to it as well um, so that was kind of what I was looking at so that was four years of, of my life uh, and the other thing that factored into it I suppose was that Leanne also hadn't finished her degree mine was my zoology degree was was three years whereas hers was five her veterinary degree wow. so, I thought, so I thought well if I carry on and I do a PhD you know that that's the puts us a bit further into the future but then you know still it didn't work out timing wise because my phd was four years so you know she had another two years left she'd finished and then there was two years where i still had my phd to, to finish um so yeah four four years i spent you know uh looking after chickens feeding them basically different feeds with this supplement in the diet uh to try and improve their their bone strength and and also like egg quality uh and also there was another aspect to it which is but if you include this supplement, you can uh, decrease the amount of uh, phosphorus in their manure, which is uh, one of the pollutants of poultry manure. And so if you can reduce that, you can improve kind of soil quality, soil health, and also uh, any kind of runoff from soils into water systems. And so I wasn't really looking at that much, that bit in particular, but that's also kind of another aspect other people were looking at at the same time, is, um, is, is an environmental uh, point so this this supplement is actually really it's amazing really what it does because it can improve the you know kind of the performance the production of the bird how many eggs they lay and the quality of those eggs it can improve the welfare of the bird by improving kind of bone strength uh, and, and things like that and, but also it can also help the environment by reducing pollutants uh, from from the poultry waste and so you know it's kind of a winner all around this uh, this supplement but we were yeah we, we were looking at some kind of some things people hadn't looked at before uh, with this supplement because it's included in in pretty much all of all of the diets of laying hens at, at quite low levels and i was looking at ones if you include it at higher levels do you get extra benefits from that and it turns out pretty much you, you do and i was looking at what those benefits are um and so to bring me to like the next song um i suppose during a phd as i said kind of messy messy mind messy office uh i'm spent quite a bit of time procrastinating i don't think i've ever worked as hard as i did during the phd even when i was doing my undergraduate degree i think i worked harder during the phd there were like some you know sleepless nights and anyone who uh, who does a phd will always have a moment where they think it's going to fail and they have like an emotional breakdown and that that definitely happened at one point for me um and i i always say that you know people always think you're really clever if you've done a phd i actually don't think you need to be really clever to do a phd what you need obviously you need to be clever and you need to have a grasp of the topic 
but the thing you need more than anything is like just determination to get through it just slog it through very few people who do phds don't who start a phd get told you're not gonna you're not good enough it's normally people give up that's that's the people people drop out they're hard to get to start doing a phd the application is is difficult and it helps if you know someone um but um but in terms of the actual work more than anything it's just a slog you just got to keep going keep going keep going keep going so yeah i work really hard but definitely procrastinate a lot which brings me to my next song which is by the band okay go and the song i chose is this too shall pass and the reason i've chosen that is because as a student like many students um basically just spend time looking at youtube and okay go I really like their songs, but I also really like their, their music videos. They're, they're known for doing really good music videos. The one people will probably be most familiar with is uh, Here It Goes, uh, again, where they're dancing on um, treadmills and they're going from one side to the other side. That's the one that's kind of the most viral, I would say. But yeah, they've got loads. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's loads of really good videos. And this one is a, 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 like a massive uh, Ruby Goldberg machine, which is a bit like the Honda, the old, you remember the old Honda advert where isn't it nice when things just work yeah they've got all the different parts of the car it's like that a massive version of that but much bigger and yeah it's an amazing video and i just used to spend hours watching rubbish on youtube but also watching uh music uh videos and stuff like that and this is one definitely that i used to watch a lot and if i hear it again it takes me back to to that sort of time of, of my life when i had you know very little sleep and a lot of work to do <laughs> and a thesis to write yeah. Uh, um, and your last song I, I'm going to go into um, where you see your future in just a second but your last song I laughed at this I need, can I read this out you've asked for Shotgun by George Ezra and you've said the kids love this song and unlike Baby Shark it doesn't drive me crazy so I laughed at that so yeah, yeah tell me about that so most of the songs I like uh and, and the artists I like tend to use swear words. And so if you want to listen to them when the kids are around, you have to be near the volume to make sure you can turn them down <laughs> at just the right moment. And you have to know the song quite well. I've been caught out a couple of times listening to a CD and then realising I've got the kids in the back in, and thinking, oh, I better turn this one off, actually. I'll skip this song or something like that. Um, but George Ezra, I mean, people might prove me wrong now and tell me he has got loads of swear words in his songs. As far as I can see, they're very kind of clean songs. There's not any swearing or anything in there that you wouldn't want a, a kid to hear. I actually really like most of his songs. I can't think of one I, I don't like. And I think, you know, he's, he's a good artist. And they're, they're really catchy kind of happy songs that make you feel good. But also the kids just seem to love them. And it, they first noticed it with my, my nephew. He really liked, um, uh, which was the song? I think it might have been Budapest he really liked. Um, and anyway, so but but then all kids, you know, no matter. So we've got a one. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and they both really love it. And if you put it on, they'll both be, you know, go get up there and start dancing to it, and you can have a good dance with them. But like I say, unlike a lot of the songs that they like, like some nursery rhymes or, or Baby Shark or some of the other ones, you know, it doesn't drive you crazy. Especially if you know if they want to listen to it again and again and again and again. You know, you can actually listen to that again and again and again and again, and it's a good song. And you know, it doesn't make you want to scream into a pillow um so that's why i chose that one and so you know i, I tried with all, each of the songs i tried to chose like a different era of my life so early teens late teens met leanne phd and now the one that sums up now really i would say is george ezra shotgun that's the one if i ever think of that and i'm sure in 10 years time if i hear that song 
I'll be thinking of uh, the kids dancing around um, around a messy living room uh, in, in front of you know YouTube on the TV. Uh, so that's why, yeah, I chose that song. Um, that's yeah. nice. That is, I love that. I love that. It's just that you've got a really good sense of humour, actually, um, which kind of runs in the family, I think. So um, I, I'll tell everybody now. I just wanted you to tell your story. I'm actually related to Stephen, so Stephen's my young cousin, <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted him to get him on. Um, because we've had Claire on and, and Stephen helps everybody every day with his Cheshire Egg Company and obviously through lockdown, I'm dead proud of him. So I wanted to get him on for a story. So Stephen, after lockdown, what's, what's your future going to look like with, with yourself, your family and, and with the business as well? Well, I suppose the, the big thing for us uh, in the future is, uh, is moving house. So at the moment, I don't actually live on, on the farm. My, my parents and my, my grandparents uh, both live on the farm. But I currently live in, in the local town of Congleton. But we're uh, currently building a house so I can actually live on the farm and help out a bit. There was a lot of discussion whether, you know, when, when I first came back to the farm and decided I wanted to be a farmer and spending four years in academia as a PhD student very much convinced me that farming was the way I wanted to go. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, although I did carry on at the university for some time, kind of lecturing part-time for them. Um, but I have, I've stopped that now to try and focus on, on the business and the farm at home. But yeah, so, but, but the, yeah, it's moving house, moving onto the farm, which is what I'm, I'm really looking forward to because I loved uh, growing up on the farm. And we could have moved on sooner and done like some house swapping and, you know, my grandparents move off. But I think it's, it's really important that, you know, that they're still here and my parents are still here. I mean, my parents are, are in, you know, as I've got kids now, are actually almost doing more than they were before I came back because um, we've kind of expanded the business uh, to a certain extent. And, uh, and I was helping out with that until, you know, kids came along and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm having to go back there and, and help out, look after them. But with my grandparents as well, I think, you know, it's, it's very important uh, that they stay on the farm because, you know, they've been here well, my granddad's been here since he was born, um, you know, since the early 30s. So um, I didn't want to be the grandson that said, right, it's my turn on the farm now. You go get a bungalow somewhere in the town. I think, you know, and they still come out both. Well, they've not during lockdown. Both grandma and granddad have actually they've isolated themselves in their house during the lockdown. Wow. But, yeah, but before, before lockdown, both of them would come out every single day and still work on the farm. And, they, you know, they're like 87 now. Um yeah, and my gran, my gran was always like the first one out. You know, every morning she'd start collecting the eggs before anyone else kind of got out. My granddad wouldn't get out quite so soon, but he would like to come out and then boss us about and tell us where we've gone wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've all, we think we've all um, experienced Saturday and Sunday morning <laughs> egg grading at like eight o'clock in the morning. I know I have as well. That was my first job, egg grading. There you go. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so moving on to the farm, I think is 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 the big thing that's coming, and, and I'm really looking forward to our kids my kids having the same experience growing up that that i had and i know there are you know downsides to living on a farm in terms of you know they'll, they'll be further away from the, their friends you know during lockdown our, our neighbors have been very very good because you know the kids can scream at each other over the fence to to the next door neighbors but um and, and i'm definitely going to miss that when when we move on the farm you know not having people quite so close and not being able to, you know, nip to the shop, walk to the shops, but in terms of, you know, running around in, in the wilds and, you know, messing about in trees and, and seeing, you know, animals being born and, and, 
you know, all that kind of thing. That's what I'm looking forward to because I think it is a really good kind of upbringing for a kid. Um, yeah, so that's the future. I think it's very grounding actually with with all the farm work because you get you get your hands dirty, don't you? And it's basically it's you know you got to work really really hard um, to to work on a farm. So I think it is a good experience and like life's long, long skills for you as well. So I do think it yeah. is like a great grounding. Yeah, so you get you're gonna sort of get a house on the farm. That's ace. That is, I think that's amazing. We'll we'll invite you around when lockdown's over. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, I'm not doing any upgrading though. I I stop. <laughs> Alright, I'll let I'll let you off this time. Yeah, please. Yeah, that I, I mean it's great what you do, but that's not my kind of job. My kind of job is this <laughs> one where I'm talking all day. Trust me. That's uh, waiting for um, CBBC to employ me one day. Still working on that dream or cbb seriously that's what i'd like to do but um it's been absolutely (laughs) fantastic talking to you um i would like you to send me a photograph of yourself so i can share all this on social media so you can do that in just a second so i shall edit this um to all my listeners it's going to go out on uh, the redshift um online uh, website it's going to go out on captivate spotify and itunes many thanks um stephen and uh, i will see you again goodbye for now Yeah, see you when lockdown's over. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye, girl. Bye-bye.